So if you are just joining us, what we're doing uh, this fall is that we're looking through the New Testament book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is a letter that is written to the church in Colossae. It is written by the Apostle Paul, and Paul uh, was a missionary, a church planner who was planting churches throughout the Mediterranean region. And as he was doing that, a man heard uh, his teaching and then took uh, that teaching to his home city of Colossae and uh, God planted a church through his ministry there. And so Paul uh, hears uh, that there's a crisis going on, that these uh, Colossian Christians are uh, growing bored with the faith, that uh, following Jesus is not... um, as appealing to them as it once was. So they're considering uh, returning to their Jewish roots or their Greek uh, roots or their Roman cultish roots or, or whatever their background is. They're considering returning to these things. And so Paul is writing to them and demonstrating that uh, Jesus is, uh, is awesome. Really, And so last week, we really saw a, an incredible picture of just how awesome and big and, and amazing Jesus is, as Jesus is the one who creates all things. Jesus is the one who sustains all things. Jesus is the one who rescues all things. And so today, uh, he, in his letter, he's turning his, his attention, he's turning his focus to his own ministry. He's telling the Colossians why he gets out of bed in the morning. And that is incredibly relevant for us today. Like as we uh, got up out of bed this morning, what, what caused us to do that? It's like this is a, a question that uh, what gets you out of the bed in the morning, this is really a question of purpose and motive. And Paul is, is talking about what it is that should motivate uh, followers of Jesus. And so that's what we're thinking about today. So whether you're here today believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what you believe, let's look together at God's word. And we're looking at uh, Colossians 1 verses 24 through 2, 5. Um, you can read, uh, follow along the, in the worship guide or on the words projected up on the wall. So let's uh, give our careful attention to God's word. This is Colossians. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known. Excuse me. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.
Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your blessing now as we look to your word. We, may your spirit be working in our hearts that we would hear uh, your word for us. And so, Lord, be with us today if we have uh, objections or doubts or skepticism uh, towards you and we're completely unsure. So, Father, we ask that if, if, that's, if that's us, Lord, uh, help us to, to see and have more clarity. Uh, of your word. But if we're here today distracted or weary, Father, give us rest. Give us focus, Lord, as we look to your word. Nourish us by your spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but superheroes are a big thing today. Just look at, at what movies are coming up. I think Disney may have like another five dozen Marvel Avenger movies coming up. Who knows? But superheroes are a big thing. Just look at the comics. In fact, there are entire universes of superhero stories. And that within these universes, there are hundreds of superheroes. And I have no idea how many there are, but there's hundreds of them. But of all these hundreds, the two most popular superheroes, I would say, are Batman and Superman. But Batman is a superhero. There's the, uh, see, there's going to be a debate later afterwards. But so Batman's a superhero because he's just a really rich guy who can buy technology and make an amazing suit, right? That's why Batman's a, a superhero. Spider-Man's a superhero because, like, uh, something... I said Spider-Man? Spider-Man's a hero because uh, something bit him and, and changed uh, his nature. And so, super, uh, sorry, Batman is a superhero because he puts on a suit... Spider-Man's a superhero because something has changed inside of him. And I start off this way because uh, Paul is talking about uh, an important theological idea in our text today. It's called union with Christ. And th- this entire idea of union with Christ is actually going to, ca- it captivates Paul's mind for the next two chapters of this letter. That the entirety of Colossians 2 and Colossians 3 is about our union with Christ, of whether or not we are alive in Christ and whether or not uh, uh, if the resurrected Christ lives within us and we are hidden within, within Christ. So this idea of union with Christ is a very big idea, but it's, it's something like that Spider-Man moment where here we are, we are completely changed because something outside of us has come to us and changed our very nature. And that's what union with Christ is. It is this fact that Christ has changed our life. But Christ has changed our life in such a way that it is a drastic intervention in our lives. And so we are now able to live how God always intended us to live. And so Paul describes his ministry. He describes what gets him out of bed in the morning. He, he shares how every single one of us, if we are united to Christ, we actually have a new purpose. Uh, to put it this way, if you are united to Christ, you are united to his purpose. In other words, if you are in Christ, his purpose is your purpose. If you are united to Christ even, you are in fact united to his family as well. And so what we see is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are so intimately united to him that his purpose and his ministry is also yours. That's the idea of these verses here. That if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are so intimately united to him that his purpose and his ministry is also yours. And so how I want us to first think about this is how we are united to Christ, second, united to 
to Christ's family, and then united to Christ's purpose. So first, let's think about union with Christ. And we've, like I said, this is the idea that's going to captivate Paul's imagination and his mind and his writing for the next two chapters. So we're going to be spending some time for the next four weeks on this one idea. So this is really just a brief introduction. And we see union with Christ mentioned in chapter 1, verse 27, where we're told it is a mystery And it is a mystery of Christ being in you, the hope of glory. See, union with Christ is this idea that Jesus is in you and you are in him. It is actually one of Jesus' core teachings. It's something that he taught about in, in John 14 and then John 15 and then John 16. It's, it's part of actually, so just put this in context. John 12 is the foot wash where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. John 17 is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. But so John 12 to John 16 is the dinner conversation that Jesus shared over the Last Supper that he had with his disciples. And three of those entire chapters are full of the conversation of how we are united to Christ. So it's a core, substantial teaching of Jesus for his followers, but he says this in John 14, and he uses somewhat different language also in 15, but he says this, because I live, you also will, will live. In that day, you will know that I, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's John 14. Then John 15, slightly different language. He says, abide in me, and I in you. See, Paul, what he has just done in this letter, he has just celebrated how awesome and magnificent Jesus Christ is as the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of all things. And now he, he tells us that his purpose, that Paul's purpose as an apostle is to see Christ in you. The one who created all things in you. The one who sustains all things in you. The one who redeems and rescues all things to himself is in you, and Paul gives himself to see you become mature in Christ. That is his purpose in, in life. That's why he gets out of bed, because he wants to see all of Jesus' followers imaging him, reflecting him, making him known as we have always meant to, to do, because that is our purpose in life. But just to be clear, Union with Christ does not mean that you lose yourself. It does not mean that Jesus obliterates uh, your personality. Essentially, when you become a Christian, you are a changed person. But this does not mean that the, Christ, that the, that the Christian life is a self-improvement project. It does not mean that, uh, that uh, this is really an undertaking of where uh, like we're just where we are completely changed and where we're not, no longer human or where we lose our personality. What we're talking about is that when we are followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus makes us into a brand new people. As, he put, as Paul puts it in, in Corinthians, how we are new creation. And we are new creations because the risen, the exalted Jesus Christ lives within you. And just as we, we heard about in our call to confession from Galatians 2.20, is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And so what, what union with Christ is, is, is that we're saying that there, that there, 
the old Robbie Schmipperger is dead and the new Robbie Schmipperger lives. And so the same thing's true for you, is that if you are in Christ, there's the old you that is no longer, that is dead, it's gone, and then the new you, the way that you have always meant to live, is, is now at work because of Christ residing in you. That is a picture of union with Christ. Christ is in you, but if Christ is in you, then consider this. If Jesus is in his followers, Jesus is in you, Jesus is in the Christian who's next to you. Jesus is in the follower of Jesus who's next to you. So the, the picture that we have here because of union with Christ is that we are actually united to Jesus' other, other followers. We are united to Jesus' family. We are united to one another. And this is the church. We are united to God's family. This is the second thing I want us to consider, that we are united to God's family. And we see Paul talking about this in various places throughout this text. He's actually talking about every single verse. It's, it's this, this passage is dripping with our union and to unity with one another. He says in, in chapter 2, verse 1, I have a struggle for you and for those in Laodicea. Like, Paul has never met these Colossian Christians and yet he struggles for them. His purpose in life is to, to see these Colossian Christians become more like Jesus Christ. That's what gets him out of bed. And he's never met them. They're strangers, yet he talks about them with such intimacy that they are family members. That's a picture of, this, of unity in Christ because we're, we're united to one another. And this is a, uh, a fitting point to make today. Um, because as Paul is here, he's talking about how we are united to one another. That's, he's, what he's talking about is that we are united to Christ's body. We are united to the church. That's Paul's language in, in chapter 1, verse 24. This is a fitting point to make today because we just started our introduction to Ironworks class. And uh, if you're, this is your first time here with us, we've been talking about this for a number of Sundays uh, over the past uh, two or three months. But this intro class serves as our membership uh, course. And, so, and Christians talk about membership in, in a variety of different ways. And membership is an idea that we have some understanding of, but it's not a biblical understanding. So say, for example, you are a member at Costco. Your entire membership, your entire membership at Costco is really to get amazing discounts. It's a consumer relationship. It's great. Hey, like, hey we're getting the best prices. In bulk, this is awesome. That's Costco. I've never shopped at Costco, so you can tell me if my experience or my understanding is true to your experience. Now, on the other hand, uh, perhaps you're a member at the Y or a member of the gym, and you're, you go there, but again, it's a consumer relationship. It's like I'm paying money to be a member here so that I can use uh, th these weights or I can use the locker room, I can use this pool. It's, it's like I'm paying to, use these, to have these amenities. That's the idea of membership that we have within our culture, that we, we actually don't have a, a biblical understanding because all those examples I just gave to you, they may pertain to interests or, or uh, spending habits or, um, or just life, but there are also there's a consumer element to the, the examples I gave. Membership 
biblically speaking, is, it actually has to, is much more intimate than that. It's, it's different. How Paul uses it, he uses language of our body. He uses a language of, of members being connected to another. It's like this. This is how Paul puts it in, in Corinthians, and this is really the best way to put it. But it's a picture of, of intimacy and being united together. He's like, hey, your, your arm, right, is connected to your body. So you are a member of your body. You know your foot, your, your foot is an appendage. It's a, it's a member of your body. And your, your toes, your toes are somehow connected to your elbow. They're connected to your body. Like, so like, in other words, being a member is actually being a part of one another. That is the picture that Paul presents consistently in every single one of his letters. And the head of the body. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. And we saw that last week in verse 18. And so Paul is writing because he sees the church as the body of Christ. That Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body. So we, friends, are Christ's body. We are Jesus's tangible hands, his feet, here in Westchester. So the church is meant to tangibly demonstrate Christ's love for others. The church is meant to pass on Christ's love for the world. Because that is Christ's purpose, but that is also because every single one of us, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are both united to him, and because we are united to him, we are also united to one another. So our union with Christ means that we are connected to each other. That is amazing. And so Paul looks at his life and sees himself connected to every single Christian who has ever lived, including us, even though that was 2,000 years ago and we've never met the guy. Paul sees himself as intimately connected to him. And so Paul... As an apostle, as he's planting these churches, he suffers. He actually really suffers for the sake of the gospel. And we'll talk about his sufferings in a moment. But I want to point this out. Looking at verse 24, Paul rejoices in his sufferings for your sake. Paul suffered for the sake of the Colossians. He suffered for people that he didn't even know. So Paul... Uh, and he goes on to use very provocative language. In my flesh, I'm filling up what Christ is lacking in his afflictions. We'll come to that in a moment. Paul's being very provocative here. But he's giving us a picture. He, he's showing us that Paul's suffering is a, is a living demonstration of Christ suffering for these Christians. That his suffering is a living demonstration of Jesus' sufferings. That is a provocative picture, and Paul means it to be. So as we, I want to think now about this, these sufferings, because, and this is now as we move to our third point, how we are united to Christ's purpose, okay? Um, and Christ, uh, one of the names that uh, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah had for Jesus is that he is a man of sorrows, right? That Jesus is one who came to suffer. Uh, theologians uh, call the incarnation of Jesus Christ the humiliation of God the Son. So Jesus is one who suffered above all things. 
And so, let, and so as we think about Christ's purpose, as we think about Christ's ministry, this demands that we think about uh, Christ's suffering and what it means for us to suffer as followers of Jesus Christ. So looking at Paul's language, he suffers, and he's rejoicing in this. How in the world is this possible? Why is he rejoicing in his suffering, and what part does this have within our lives? Let's think about that. And like I said a moment ago, Paul is an apostle, that is, but that is a unique calling of God upon that specific age. Like the, the apostles being those who take the gospel to the ends of the earth, the known world at the, of that time, to uh, see the, the church established. And Paul, as an apostle, that's a unique calling, he suffers as an apostle. And again, that, he, Paul suffers a, in a unique way. In Acts 9, when uh, uh, Saul uh, comes to know Jesus, when he converts uh, from his J- Jewish uh, faith to uh, the Christian faith, we read this in Acts 9, that God says that I will show Paul how he must suffer for my name as he takes the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul had a unique calling to suffer. And I want to think about that because in 2 Corinthians 11, we read about the ways that Paul suffered. Here's just a list. This is 2 Corinthians 11, but uh, Paul endured imprisonment. He was in prison several times. Uh, we see some of those examples in, in the book of Acts. He, he lost count of how many times he was beaten. And on, 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 on a few times, he was beaten to the point of being, of being near death. And five times he was whipped, 39 times. 39, he received 39 lashes. He was stoned. Uh, three times he was beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. This was one that struck me. And one time he was adrift at sea for a full day and, and full night. And then often he was without food. Often he was exposed to harsh weather conditions and more. This is all in 2 Corinthians. And we see many examples of this in the book of Acts. And so the point that I'm drawing out is Paul, as an apostle, had a unique calling that included a unique way of suffering. But even though that's Paul's experience and that's Paul's unique calling, in a very general way, we are called to suffer as well. When Jesus says that to us, uh, this is uh, Luke 9, he says that uh, if a man wants to follow me, he must first count the cost, then pick up his cross, and then follow me. Jesus envisions a life of suffering for his followers. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who actually participated in an assassination plot to kill Hitler, and who was then martyred, killed in, just on the eve of Germans, the German surrender, he wrote this, When Christ bids a man, he bids him to come to die. Now, when you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you commit yourself to seeing the old you die so that the the new you may live. You commit yourself to seeing the old ways of living and your sin dying and being done with so that you can can see Christ in you being fully seen and fully realized. So because you are a new creation in Christ. And so you may never suffer like Paul did. Nor may you suffer like many Christians across the globe suffer. But you are called to pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. 
And Paul goes on to say, and I, I said we, we would return to this, in verse 24, Paul says that I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. This is, like I said, provocative. Because it may seem to imply there's something unfinished about what Jesus was uh, doing. But it, it would be wrong to assume, it would be wrong to read this as saying that there's something unfinished about what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. Like, what did Jesus himself say when he died upon the cross? He yelled out, his last words is, it is finished. And so Jesus concluded his work. But Paul is seeing something that is actually lacking. And it's specifically having to do with uh, uh, suffering. And so there is an unfinished task, at, at least in Paul's mind. And this is um, how our friends uh, and author, uh, this is uh, uh, Dr. Stan Gale, this is how he put it. Christ's afflictions were lacking only in respect to quantity in the continuing mission of his church through which he works. So in other words, the, because the church is the body of Christ and the, the church is taking the good news to the ends of the earth as Christ's witnesses and teaching all the commandments and all the things that Jesus taught, taught the disciples. That we're taking all of God's word and we are demonstrating the gospel. We're proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. The reality is that task is unfinished. And we are Christ's body. And because we are intimately united we are intimately united to him. Paul is saying that I am, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's sufferings. And he sees that Christ, the gospel task of sharing the gospel, demonstrating the gospel is unfinished. And so he sees Jesus' work in the world not fully finished because Jesus is still at work through the church. That's the thing. Jesus is still at work in the world through the church. Jesus' redemptive work upon the cross is done. Your sins are forgiven. That is done. That it is finished. But we still have friends. We still have loved ones. We still have neighbors. And perhaps some of you today still do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is the task that is unfinished. And that is the task that Paul has. That is the task that we have as well. And so Jesus' work in the world is not fully realized. And so our sufferings have a role in seeing that work completed and, and finished in, in our lives and in the lives of others. And so as Paul is experiencing, when we suffer, we are embodying the suffering of what, we are embodying what Jesus endured for others. Our lives are a picture of Jesus' suffering for others. And so this is another way. What, I'm, what, what I am describing for you is something that every follower of Jesus Christ does. But I'm also describing what Paul, as a minister of the gospel, is doing. But Paul also sees his purpose in a different way. Related, but different. He says about himself in verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. In other words, Paul sees his calling as a minister, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a steward. Now, that's not a word that we use that much, is it? A steward. Like, so perhaps you're wondering what that means. And I, really, the best understanding of a steward is a literary example. Uh, it's from J.R.R. Tolkien's books, 
Lord of the Rings, specifically Return of the King. It's a movie. You can spend three hours watching it or read the whole book. But in, in it, we see there's a picture of a steward. And, but in the, actually, back up. In the overall overarching storyline, the, the king of the human kingdom is lost. He, he's, he's missing. And so, meanwhile, there's a steward sitting on that throne taking care of the kingdom and protecting it and so forth. That individual is called a steward. The steward is really entrusted with taking care of something on the behalf of someone else. Paul sees himself as a steward. He is entrusted with the gospel. He's actually, in his words, to the grace given to me for you. He's entrusted with the grace that is given to him from God for others. And so Paul is entrusted with caring for that. And that that's what this means is that God's grace is given to us, it's entrusted to us, but it's meant to be shared with others. So God entrusts us with his gospel, and it's meant to be shared. So the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and is renewing all things, redeeming all things back to himself, that news is entrusted to you, and God has a purpose for that. He entrusts that into your hands so that you would share that news with others. You see, the gospel is like love. It is meant to be shared with other people. And so now perhaps as we get, we're going through this, it, you may think that following Jesus sounds pretty hard. There's a lot of suffering involved. And, but I want to point out that we're dropping in the middle of a, a book. And as we, if you were with us about uh, four weeks ago now, as we started going through uh, Colossians 1, uh, we would see how Paul is celebrating the love, the joy, the patience, the endurance, the kindness, the, the compassion, the hope, and the faith of this church. And so what I want to point out to you is that following Jesus means that Jesus shapes the entirety of our lives, that Jesus' love shapes our life, Jesus' peace, his joy, that all these things shape our life. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know these things, that you know that there's the goodness and the beauty of following Jesus is both experienced, it's known, and tangibly passed on in your life. You know these things. But it also means that if you are a follower of Jesus, the entirety of Jesus shapes your life. His love, his peace, his joy, his service, and his suffering shapes your life as well. And so we, as as followers of Christ, as we are united to him, as we endure these challenges, there's going to be a unique joy that actually comes as we face these challenges. That, that's provocative, that we can actually have joy when we face challenges. We can actually have joy when we suffer. Now, you may not know it then, but a day will come and you'll look back on your suffering. You'll look back on the way that you faced those challenges and that you'll have a deeper joy in your life with God because of those sufferings. And that's not because, and this is not because we endure suffering on our own energy whatsoever. The only way that we can actually have joy in our suffering, like Paul does, is because Christ is the one who powerfully works within us. Paul, we are, in Paul's vision, Paul's teaching of our union with Christ is that we are so intimately connected to him. Look at verse 29. That all of Christ's energy is powerfully working within him. 
That's the picture that Christ is working within us with every ounce of his energy to see us become more like himself. And so Christ energizes us from within, enabling our endurance. So that's how we can endure suffering. But I also want to point, I want to point, this, point something else out. That suffering can actually be a crucible. Suffering it can be a gift. And a crucible is like where we, we see something new made out of old things. And let me give an illustration to, to, kind of, to demonstrate how suffering can be a crucible. How suffering can be used for our good. Here's an example. Will Smith, right? Will Smith is an incredibly talented actor. At least in 2007, uh, Newsweek called him the most powerful actor in Hollywood. See, uh, at that, in that moment, uh, Will Smith was actually moving his way up to the peak in his career. And uh, for, at that point, seven, for seven consecutive years, the movie that he was the lead actor in was the summer blockbuster hit. It could have been Men in Black 2. It could have been Hitch. It could have been, and it ended with, with Haycock. But like Will, Will Smith is an incredibly uh, talented actor. And so Hollywood uh, production studios had a recipe that if you wanted to have a, a summer blockbuster hit, you need Will Smith in it. However, this uh, did not work whatsoever in 2015 when Will Smith starred in and... Uh, started in the movie After Earth. It was a failure, and it was a devastating failure to him because it, it was actually a movie that had his son in it. And this is, uh, he considers it the biggest failure of his entire career, but this is how, he, as he reflects on this, this is what he, he said about it. After Earth comes out, and I get the box office numbers on Monday, I was devastated. I was completely undone. I was undone really for about 24 minutes. And then my phone rang, and I found out that my father had cancer. That put my failure, the after-earth failure, in perspective viciously. And at that point, I had to dive into why it was so important for me to have number one movies. I never would have looked at myself in that way without my failure. I was a guy, or without my father's cancer. I was a guy who, when I was 15, my girlfriend cheated on me, and I decided that if I was number one, no woman would ever cheat on me again. So all I have to do is make sure that no one is better than me, and I will have the love that my heart yearns for. And I have never released that and moved into a mature way of looking at the world and my artistry and love until the failure of After Earth. When I had to accept that my motivation was not a good source of creation, and that Monday started the new phase of my life, a new concept that only love is going to fill that hole. You cannot win enough. You cannot have enough money. You cannot succeed enough. There is not enough. The only thing that will ever satiate that existential thirst is love. And I appreciate these candid words because what he is pointing out and, and demonstrating for us very clearly is that suffering gave him the eyes to see what he was really living for. That if he did not suffer, if he did not see the failure and the, the limits and, the, and just, the, the, just the, the, poor, the wrong motivation for living, he never would have seen that without uh, suffering. Because, and what he says, put it this way, that being number one means nothing when you learn that your father has cancer. 
That, that's his experience. And the only thing that can, can comfort you in life and in death is that we belong to God. That's it. That's our only comfort in life and in death. And Christ, in fact, is in us. That is the hope of glory. We are God's beloved, and this is a hope that we are entrusted with so that we can share it with others. We, are, we, can, we cannot take this grace, take this love of God that Christ has given us and earned for us and keep it to ourselves. We must share it with others. Why? Because that is actually Christ's purpose in life. Christ lived for you. Christ died for you. He defeated death upon the cross for you. He it, it was exalted to the right hand of his Father for you. Because God loves all things and wants to have life with you. That is why, that is Christ's purpose. And if you do not call yourself a, a, a Christian, I want you to know that this church exists so that you would know God's love. I want you to see Christ's love for you through our love for you as well. I want you to see Christ suffering upon the cross for you as we suffer and endure the challenges of our life and your life with you. So you should see Christ's and God's love for you through us. That is my prayer, my hope for this church. And friends, I have news for you that God loves you and wants to have a life with you. And if you are a Christian... Christ is in you, and you are in him, and you are meant to share this love with others and share this life with others. You're, you're meant to enjoy it as well because Christ died for your joy that you would, that you would know. And, but I, would, I ask you to think about this one question. How can you do this? How can you share the love of God with your church family? How can you share the love of God with one another? Because this is why Ironworks exists, exist, to share the love of God with others who do not know God through Jesus Christ. This is why we exist. This is why every Christian exists. This is what should get every Christian out of bed in, in the morning. And this is what we see here as God's word for our lives today in, in Colossians for us. Let's pray.